we're going to go through a revolution. You'd rather undertake it than undergo it. These were the words of Andrew Yang, an entrepreneur currently running for President of the United States. He made this remark while doing an interview for the Joe Rogan podcast. This interview can be found on the Andrew Yang for President 2020 YouTube channel. The revolution that Yang seems to have been referring to was the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which he described as the greatest technological revolution in the history of the United States, as is documented in Julia Manchester's article in The Hill titled, Andrew Yang Says Fourth Industrial Revolution Fueled Trump's Election. The Fourth Industrial Revolution involves an economy built around the spread of automation and its role in taking jobs that were once run by humans and making them technologically run. The Fourth Industrial Revolution has been a major component of Yang's campaign for president. On the October 15, 2019 Democratic presidential debate, Yang brought up the Fourth Industrial Revolution, saying, quote unquote, and that is going to accelerate and grow more serious regardless of who is in the Oval Office, end quote. The Fourth Industrial Revolution seems to be part of a wider and greatly concerning economic transformation in this country, one that seeks to throw our entire working class into a state of economic uncertainty. This transformation is one riddled with incredible poverty at a time when our urban and our rural areas have both developed their own very unique and challenging economic issues. However, that is not to say that there are not solutions that have been presented to deal with these issues. What needs to be discussed more in our national conversation are the possible solutions that we can provide for the many impoverished communities across the United States. As Yang's Democratic presidential rival, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, said in the December 19th, 2019 presidential debate, quote-unquote, this economy is not working for most of us. For the middle class, and I know you're only ever supposed to say middle class and not poor in politics, but we gotta talk about poverty in this country. End quote. It is time to have a real discussion about poverty. I am Paxton Phillips, and this is Politics with Paxton. In order to understand the steps that Yang and some of the other Democratic presidential candidates have taken to combat economic inequality, one must first take into account some of the facts about the dangers that automation and the fourth industrial revolution actually pose to the American workforce. While the effects of automation are not by any means entirely negative, they are mostly negative in the lives of many American workers who could lose their jobs because of it. 
the effects of a more robot-based economy have already been set in motion, and some see little that can be done to stop them. As the economist Paul Davidson articulates in his USA Today article titled, Automation Could Kill 73 Million U.S. Jobs by 2030, the shocking statistics that, quote-unquote, 39 million to 73 million jobs could be destroyed, but about 20 million of those displaced workers can be shifted fairly easily into similar occupations, though they may take on slightly different tasks, the report says. That means 16 million to 54 million workers, or as much as a third of the U.S. workforce, will need to be retrained for entirely new occupations. End quote. The idea that so many Americans will have to be retrained for taking on new jobs in such a short period of time should be very concerning to many Americans. Even though some of these workers would be provided with the opportunity to work in new jobs, some of these people may not even like their jobs, as Yang pointed out in the October 15th debate. The danger that automation poses to the United States is only perpetuated by the very fact that the United States is incredibly unprepared to tackle it head-on. In Stephanie John Drow's Carnegie Mellon University article titled Automation, the Future of Work, and the New American Dream, several experts provided their view on automation spread. Mark Kamlet, a university professor of economics and public policy, explained how automation will affect so many more Americans than have been estimated, even if it does not do so directly, saying, quote-unquote, Analyses that predict 38% of jobs going fully away in 15 years, implying 62% will remain just as they are now, are missing the point. A whole lot more than 38% of U.S. jobs will be affected in meaningful ways by technological change. The question is, how many will be affected? By how much? End quote. Obviously, there is still a lot of uncertainty regarding how much an impact automation will have on the United States. However, the one thing that we know for certain is that the impact of automation will be felt. The process of automation is one that Americans already can see taking place around them, even if much of its impact have, has yet to be properly calculated. The lack of preparedness that the United States faces is evident in the current education system. John Drow highlights in her article how, quote-unquote, for 60 years the mantra of U.S. education policy has focused on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics skills. Those skills are doubtless highly necessary for 
many occupations, from neurosurgeons to material scientists and many jobs in between. But many STEM abilities are in the sweet spot of what machine learning and big data can learn to do very well. End quote. These STEM skills, from what one can glean from John Jazz's article, are unfortunately some of the easiest skills for machines to perform and are also the same skills that many schools disproportionately focus on. While this STEM-focused curricula might have been effective in the previous decades in preparing students for entering the workforce, it may not be as effective in doing so in a workforce dominated by automation. Associate Professor of Computer Science at Carnegie Mellon University, Seth Goldstein, was quoted in John Drow's article as saying, quote-unquote, We may have thought it would be impossible for technology to drive cars and trucks far more safely than humans, or that technology would be able to read CAT scans more accurately than the best human oncologist or radiologist. But we were wrong, and the machine learning algorithms involved never had to go to driver training school or to medical school. End quote. Author Heather McGowan expressed this same sentiment as Goldstein in her Forbes article titled, Can We Save the American Dream? When she wrote about how, quote-unquote, we are myopically focused on proving learning, but that which can be proven is also that which is easy to automate. Our rush to push children through summative testing by teaching to the test is rapidly diminishing their engagement at a time when we most need young people to adapt habits that will enable lifelong learning. End quote. This is a very serious dilemma that the United States faces and is not one that has a very simple solution. The solution that Yang has put forward to deal with the spread of automation is the Freedom Dividend, a universal basic income of $1,000 a month to every American citizen over the age of 18, as it is described in Yang's campaign website, Yang 2020's article, What is the Freedom Dividend? This same article explains that one of the main sources of funding for the Freedom Dividend will come from a value-added tax on the services a business produces or the production of goods. Some of the other presidential candidates have proposed different solutions for dealing with the issue of automation. In the October 15th debate, CNN host Aaron Burnett pointed out the facts that a quarter of American jobs could be lost to automation in just 10 years, according to a recent study, and questioned Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders on the reliability of his plan to help the many American workers who could be displaced by automation. Sanders answered this question by citing his plan of a federal jobs guarantee and claiming that the threat of automation would be addressed in that plan. He also directed attention to his plan to cancel student loan debt 
and make public colleges tuition-free, claiming that those plans will provide workers with the opportunities to get good jobs. Burnett turned the subject of automation to Yang, asking him how his freedom dividend was a better solution than the one that Sanders had put forward. Yang responded with, quote-unquote, I am for the spirit of a federal jobs guarantee, but you have to look at how we would actually materialize it in practice. What are the jobs? Who manages you? What if you don't like your job? What if you're not good at your job? The fact is, most Americans do not want to work for the federal government, and saying that that is the vision of the economy of the 21st century to me is not a vision that most Americans would embrace. Also, Senator Sanders' description of a federal jobs guarantee does not take into account the work of people like my wife, who's at home with our two boys, one of whom is autistic. If we have a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month, it actually recognizes the work that is happening in our families and our communities. It helps all Americans transition. Because the fact is, and you know this in Ohio, if you rely on the federal government to target its resources, you wind up with failed retraining programs and jobs that no one wants. If we put the money into our hands, we can build a trickle-up economy from our people, our families, and our communities up. It will enable us to do the kind of work that we want to do. This is the sort of positive vision in response to the fourth industrial revolution that we have to embrace as a party. End quote. Yang's plan is arguably a bit more focused on actually tackling the issue of automation, while Sanders used some already developed plans of his to address automation. Unfortunately, however, Sanders was not the only candidate who did not address the issue of automation as thoroughly as Yang did on this debate. When Burnett brought Senator Cory Booker, a presidential candidate who dropped out of the race on January 13th, 2020, into the conversation on automation, Booker used this as an opportunity to address some other very important topics regarding women's reproductive rights and attacks that had been made on fellow presidential candidate Joe Biden. This was a very memorable and powerful moment for Booker, and he made some very insightful points. However, unfortunately, he did not address automation in these remarks. While his rhetoric was very on point and invoked cheers from the audience, the absence of a solution to deal with the very real issue of automation in Booker's answer made the substance in Yang's plan all the more glaring. Luckily, Booker did comment on Yang's freedom dividend the next time he spoke in the debate, saying, quote unquote, Well, first of all, the one point I wanted to make about the UBI conversation, and I hope my friend Andrew Yang will come out for this, doing more for workers than UBI would be raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. It would put more money in people's pockets than giving them $1,000 a month. We have to start putting the dignity back in work. And number one, you start having trade deals. Not like this thing that the president's trying to push through Congress right now, which gives pharmaceutical companies and other corporations benefits and doesn't put workers at the center of every trade deal. We must make sure 
we are not giving corporate tax incentives for people to move jobs out of our country but start to put the worker at the center of that and make sure that they have the resources to succeed, end quote. Burnett then brought up presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren's remark about how blaming the loss of jobs on automation is, quote-unquote, a good story, except it's not really true, end quote. Warren addresses that remark in her response, saying, quote-unquote, We've had a lot of problems with losing jobs, but the principal reason has been bad trade policy. The principal reason has been a bunch of corporations, giant multinational corporations, who've been calling the shots on trade. Giant multinational corporations that have no loyalty to America. They have no loyalty to American workers. They have no loyalty to American consumers. They have no loyalty to American communities. They are loyal only to their own bottom line. I have a plan to fix that. And it's accountable capitalism. End quote. Warren then went on to use the rest of her time in her response to explain her plan to curb the power of multinational corporations and give more power to American unions. These, of course, are very important topics that definitely need to be addressed. The power of corporations and the lack thereof for unions has played a significant role in perpetuating the already noticeable wealth gap in the United States. Despite its effectiveness, Warren's solution somewhat downplayed the role that automation has also been estimated to play in the loss of jobs for Americans. In her response to a question regarding automation, Warren pivoted to talking about poor trade policy and the unsettling power of large corporations. When presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard was brought into the debate over automation, she sympathized with the points brought up by Yang. Gabbard spoke about Quote, really, what this is about is getting to the heart of the fear that is well-founded. As people look to this automation revolution, they look to uncertainty. They don't know how this is going to affect their jobs and their everyday lives. And I agree with my friend, Andrew Yang. I think universal basic income is a good idea to help provide that security so that people can have the freedom to make the kinds of choices that they want to see. This has to do with a, a, a bad trade deals that we've seen in the past that have all also driven fear towards people losing the way that they provide for their families. Really, what we need to do is look at how we can best serve the interests of the American people. I do not believe a federal jobs guarantee is the way to do that. The value that someone feels in themselves and their own lives is not defined by the job that they have, but is intrinsic to who we all are as Americans, whatever we choose to do with our lives, and we can't forget that. End quote. By saying her disapproval of a federal jobs guarantee, Gabbard was driving a wedge between her views on automation and those that Sanders had expressed a bit earlier. 
She also aligned her views on this subject with both Yang and Warren, in that she expressed interest in a universal basic income and acknowledged that poor trade policies may have had a role in the loss of jobs for many Americans. Gabbard would also not be the only candidate who recognized the value of the plan that Yang was putting forth that was on the stage. The former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Julian Castro, who also ran for president before suspending his presidential campaign on January 2nd, 2020, was asked to comment on Warren's claim that automation is not the principal danger to the American economy by Burnett. Out of all of the candidates that were asked about automation in these several minutes, Castro provided arguably the most substantive solution to the threat of automation besides Yang, expressing his interest in piloting, quote-unquote, something like UBI, and to see how that would work. But I think we need to focus on making sure that we spark a job opportunity for people across this country, end quote. Castro went on to explain how, quote-unquote, I would invest in infrastructure to put people back to work. I would invest in a Green New Deal to unleash millions of new jobs in a clean energy economy, end quote. While Castro was finishing up explaining his plan to deal with the danger of automation, Yang jumped back into the conversation to confront Warren on what he clearly perceived as her dismissive stance on automation. Yang told Warren that, quote-unquote, Senator Warren, I've been talking to Americans around the country about automation, and they're smart. They see what's happening around them. Their main street stores are closing. They see a self-serve kiosk in every McDonald's, every grocery store, every CVS. Driving a truck is the most common job in 29 states, including this one. Three and a half million truck drivers in this country, and my friends in California are piloting self-driving trucks. What is that going to mean for the three and a half million truckers or the seven million Americans who work in truck stops, motels, and diners that rely upon the truckers getting out and having a meal. Saying that this is a rules problem is ignoring the reality that Americans see around us every single day. End quote. This was a very justified statement by Yang, who has centered his campaign around the issue of automation. To say that automation will not have a noticeable effect on the American economy is to ignore the statistics that Yang has presented about this incredible impact that it will have. In her response, Warren did not really denounce any of the facts that Yang was laying out, rather instead told him that, quote-unquote, I understand that what we're all looking for is how do we strengthen America's middle class. And I actually think the closest thing to universal basic income is social security. It's one of the reasons that I put forward a plan to extend the solvency of social security by decades and to add $200 to the payment of every person who receives social security right now and to every person who receives disability insurance right now. That $200 a month would lift nearly 5 million families out of poverty 
and it will sure loosen up the budget for a whole lot more. It also has a provision for your wife, for those who stay home to do caregiving to children or for seniors and creates an opportunity for them to get credit on their social security. So after a lifetime of hard work, people are entitled to retire with dignity. I see this as an important question about just, I want to understand the data on this and I want to make sure we're responding to make this work. End quote. Yang quickly responded with, quote unquote, I have the data, end quote. This slight altercation between Warren and Yang really shows us how, although they do have different plans of dealing with it, and although Yang has put much more of a focus on automation, both Warren and Yang have proposed solutions to deal with economic injustice and inequality. This same sentiment was echoed by Biden after Burnett asked him if Warren and Sanders' wealth tax proposals demonize wealthy individuals. Biden said in his response, quote unquote, These debates are kind of crazy because everybody tries to squeeze everything into every answer that is given. The fact is, everybody's right about the fact that the fourth industrial revolution is costing jobs. It is. The fact is also corporate greed, and they're going back and not investing in their employees. They're reinvesting and buying back their stock. End quote. In order to move on, Burnett cut Biden off by saying, quote unquote, thank you, Mr. Vice President. End quote. Biden quickly remarks that, quote unquote, see, I'm doing the same thing. End quote. This response provokes some laughter from the audience. However, the idea that Biden was seemingly trying to get across is a very important one. Yes, the fourth industrial revolution and the spread of automation have played a major role in the growth of poverty and the degradation of workers. And yes, Yang has probably put in, by far, the most effort out of all of the candidates in solving the problems that can arise from the fourth industrial revolution and automation. However, that is not to say that all of the other problems that the other candidates were bringing up are not also factors in this growing spread of poverty. The relatively low minimum wage that Booker brought up is also an important problem to consider when taking into account the number of Americans living in poverty. The poor trade deals that Warren and Gabbard had brought up are also a factor in the rise of poverty, as are the growing rise of multinational corporations that Warren focused in on. The topic of student loan debt that Sanders had mentioned is definitely also a source of economic stress for many Americans. All of these issues are quintessential in understanding the growing economic inequality in the United States. One cannot get the full picture when it comes to the wealth gap from just one of these issues. All of them need to be considered in order to completely grasp the gravity of the core issue at hand, that being poverty. However, what makes Yang such a fascinating candidate is his creative solution of solving this issue by promoting greater economic freedom, a part of universal basic income 
that Gabbard was quoted as appreciating in the October 15th debate. This fundamental principle, that of promoting greater economic freedom, is one that we should look at to solve this incredibly vexing issue. And that is why we are here, to solve this issue. While I will spend some of this podcast going over some of the problems associated with poverty and the causes that have led to the United States poverty problem, I will also advocate for the possible steps that can be taken in order to combat its prevalence in our society. It is not debating what caused an increase in economic inequality that we are going to use to create a brighter and better future for the next generation. It is by figuring out what we can do to stop its spread that will truly make a difference. Despite its seemingly new introduction into the American political conversation, Yang has assured Americans that his freedom dividend is not an entirely new one, showing evidence that the idea of guaranteeing every American an income from the government was supported by Thomas Paine and Martin Luther King Jr., as can be found in What is the Freedom Dividend? Yang has largely based his idea of the Freedom Dividend around combating automation. In the Vox article, A Basic Income Really Could End Poverty Forever, the author, Dylan Matthews, explains how many other advocates of some form of basic income, such as former service employees, International Union President Andy Stern and Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg have cited automation as a reason why the United States needs basic income. However, the idea that Williams alludes to throughout his article 
the idea that universal basic income does not only have to be a solution for the threat of automation is one that should definitely be taken into account by many Americans. Yang's form of universal basic income, his freedom dividend, is, as previously mentioned, a way to promote economic freedom for all American adults regardless of where they live. This idea of promoting economic freedom and providing an environment in which people are less likely to slide into poverty, particularly in urban areas, is of importance, particularly because urbanization leads to higher costs of living and gentrification, pushing poorer people out of cities because they cannot afford to live there. According to the Washington Post, an analysis of the U.S. Census Bureau, and demographic data from 2000 to 2013 clearly showed that, quote-unquote, gentrification often pushes people out of their neighborhoods, end quote. This information can be found in Jesse Van Toll's Washington Post article titled, Yes, You Can Gentrify a Neighborhood Without Pushing Out Poor People. It is obvious that Yang's Freedom Dividend, if implemented as a federal program, could really help lessen one of the burdens of urbanization, automation, and help lessen its dangerous effect, the loss of jobs and the sliding of Americans into poverty. Time will tell who will become the Democratic nominee and if Yang will have a say in what policies shape the direction of the next four years. But there are ways right now that we can address the issues Yang raises. We can raise awareness about urbanization, the spread of automation, the likely loss of jobs for so many Americans, and the inevitable growth of poverty that accompanies unemployment. We can also implement initiatives in our own communities that address the issues Yang raises and do so in a way that captures the spirit of the Freedom Dividend. Yang's Freedom Dividend is based on his idea that promoting Americans' economic freedom will make it less likely that they will slide into poverty as a result of job loss and allow Americans who are stuck in poverty due to job loss to break out of that poverty more easily. Yang's idea of promoting economic freedom is really important for Americans living in poverty in urban areas. Beyond the issue of gentrification, there is the issue of urban food security. Many Americans living in poverty and in urban areas do not have enough to eat. According to the USDA, in 2018, 11.1% of the United States households were food insecure at least some time during the year, and 4.3% Approximately 5.6 million households had very low food security. In terms of food security, rural Americans may have additional food sources that their urban counterparts do not have access to, such as farms, livestock, or land to grow food. 
We know that poverty in America is found predominantly in rural areas. According to Feeding America, 13% of those experiencing poverty live in rural areas, while 11% live in urban areas. Because poverty is more predominant in rural communities, many governmental policies and assistance may be more geared towards rural populace and less geared towards urban dwellers facing food insecurity. That said, statistics clearly show that many Americans who live in urban areas are living in poverty and face many economic challenges. One of them is food. In Rhode Island, for example, one in nine people struggle with hunger and one in six children struggle with hunger. And that information can be found in the Feeding America article, Hunger in Rhode Island. This leads to many people going hungry or not eating nutritionally beneficial food. What is the solution, then, to this incredibly complex and urgent problem? One thing is for sure. The solution must be multifaceted, approaching urban food insecurity from a variety of angles. But one way to combat urban food insecurity may be found literally in the dirt. Growing your own food is a way to promote economic freedom in that you don't have to buy food, which would have an even bigger benefit in urban areas where the cost of food is inflated. Of course, many of America's cities lack gardens, lack land to create gardens, and perhaps among urban dwellers, there may exist the notion that creating gardens is something people living in cities just don't do. That's why creating partnerships between food-secure suburban communities where gardening is more prevalent and food-insecure com urban communities is a good idea. For example, we could create partnerships between high schools in suburban communities that are predominantly food-secure and high schools in cities that face some significant level of food insecurity. The goal of these partnerships would be to create partner gardens and the creation of an urban garden in an urban community that faces food insecurity would help address that food insecurity and also work to fulfilling Yang's idea of economic freedom. And why is economic freedom so important? Yang's concept of economic empowerment is about more than just surviving. It is about allowing people to thrive by giving them more economic freedom. Freedom means more than surviving. Yang's idea is that people should thrive. Creating urban gardens will help urban dwellers thrive. The primary goal and outcome of urban gardens is a decrease in food insecurity through affordable community sustainable food growth. But there are other benefits to gardening too. Growing your own food is a way to promote good nutrition, one's connection to nature, work ethic, and collaboration with the earth and with others. This is an idea that is gaining attention across America. There is a growth of community urban gardens, including in cities. However, 
There is a wait list for many of those gardens and the benefits may not be reaching those in need. Creating a school partnership would enable the gardens to be created on school spaces. If no land is available on the school lot, gardens can be created in planters and horizontally up school walls. Creating a school partnership will allow students to grow food that they can then bring home. There are also additional benefits to this kind of partnership. The activity of forming and carrying out this partnership will promote benefits of collaboration and cross-community neighborliness. How would it work, one might ask? Well, two high schools, including one in an urban area that faces a level of food insecurity, form a partnership. Space could then be created at both schools for a garden. Students would work on their garden for health and physical education class. This includes, during colder months, brainstorming location and design what they will grow. In the spring months, students could till and plant and tend and grow to these brand new gardens. Every so often, students from both schools can collaborate by traveling to the partner school. And this collaboration will enable students to co-create their gardens. And the result will be food growth and a dissemination of food insecurity in urban communities. It will also raise awareness in the suburban school about some of this food insecurity in these urban areas. And will empower the students there to see what steps they can take in order to help their partners in the urban areas. Since gardens are most active in summer months, volunteer students can work on their gardens for internship credit over the summer break. From the rise in automation and the loss of jobs to the rise in the cost of living and a lack of food security, urbanization brings with it the woes of poverty. However, there are many ways that we can all take a part in combating poverty in urban areas. Yang's Freedom Dividend is one way, and the Local Garden Partnership that I have proposed is another, more local way that we can do our part to end urban hunger. Ultimately, this all brings us back to where we started with what Pete Buttigieg said about finally having a real conversation about poverty in this country. It is such an important issue to talk about. However, talking about poverty only gets us part of the way to a solution. Really, we have to take real steps and real action in our own communities across the country to try to actually make a difference. You see, if you were inspired by any, anything that was said in this podcast, then remember that talking about poverty, while important, may not be enough. 
We have to act on it. And together, we can't fail to stop poverty spread across the United States. Together, we will win the fight against poverty. I am Paxton Phillips, and this is Politics with Paxton. Thank you for listening to Politics with Paxton. Please follow me on Twitter at PoliticsWPaxton and on Instagram at Politics with Paxton, where you will find all the latest news, updates, and episodes of Politics with Paxton.